In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Good morning. If you have ever been told that you are acting like a child, it probably was not meant as a compliment. (laughs) Uh, Plenty of children have been told to grow up, but not many adults have been told to grow down, right? Act more childishly. Never heard anybody say that. So I turned uh, to one of my favorite resources for sermon preparation, which obviously is uh, New Yorker cartoons, and I found uh, two that were of interest. One was a picture of two little girls there, uh, like in a park or a backyard or something, and one says to the other, I've had to whine hard for everything I've ever really wanted, <laughs> which I, I, I understood that. The other one was a, uh, was a picture of a mother walking down the street. She had four children of varying ages. One was on her hip just screaming, just screaming his head off. Two were behind him, just punching it out, fighting with each other. One was in, in front, brooding like this. And the mother's holding up a sign in big letters that says, The end is near. <laughs> Actually, there's small letters. If you look closely, it says, The end of my patience is near. I, uh, I get that. I get it. Uh, and I want to side with the mother, right? I want to I say to the kids, Grow up. Show some maturity. Act your age. So more than once in the 13 years that uh, we've had children, I've caught myself telling a four-year-old or a five-year-old in my family, act your age. (laughs) They were. Uh, Right? Maybe I was the one who needed an attitude adjustment. Right? Maybe I was the one who needed to grow up. But no one was ever told, grow down. And yet... That is, in a sense, exactly what we are told uh, in our epistle from 1 John. Act like children, John says. He says, see what love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. This, says John, is the goal. That we should not just observe, but behold... Be amazed by, be awed by the kind of lavish love that the Father has given to us that we should see that precisely the kind of love that God has placed upon us is that we should be called His children. Now, this is another one of those things about Christianity that's sort of upside down, right? Life comes after death. Abundance comes in giving away. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. And Christian maturity is shown in childlikeness rather than in sophistication or savvy. Now, of course, John's not telling us to whine hard for everything we really want. He's not telling us that God's patience is near or God, the end of God's patience is near. But what he is saying should absolutely dumbfound us. You know, it's so familiar that we just, to us, that we just rush past it. Uh, But the reality of it should leave us gobsmacked. Just, I mean, giddy, astounded. 
What he's saying is that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the proper way to now understand our relationship to the creator of all that is, the way to understand our relationship to the one who mapped out the Milky Way and made up mitochondria, (laughs) that the proper way to understand our relationship to him is family. That we are God's children. And he is our father. And that's important, isn't it? Because what we believe determines the way that we act. What we believe determines the way we act. If we believe that God is aloof, that he's far off, that he is inaccessible, that he is concerned with more important matters, then we're going to act accordingly. If we believe that that God's a sort of doting grandfather and he just sort of thoughtlessly forgives willy-nilly anything, we'll probably act accordingly. But if we believe what John is saying, that God Almighty offers us family intimacy, and not sort of dysfunctional crazy, I should go to college in Oregon, family intimacy, but, but real, perfect father unconditional love, family, closeness, then we will act accordingly. Because we are children. That is what we are, John says. Now we might have some questions about that. In fact, we may have a lot of questions about that. I want to explore just one. One question, and that is, how can I be sure? How can I be sure that I am God's child? I mean, look at my life, preacher. Look at my life. How can I be sure that I am God's child? You know, we often talk, uh, say that we, we know that we can see uh, someone's relationship to their earthly parent just by looking at him, right? There's a family resem- resemblance. I- I've been told many times that my son Thomas looks just like me. Bless his heart. Um, <laughs> I- I'm the one who takes that as a compliment. But, um, you know, it would be nice if we could say about Christians, well, the way you know, just look at them. I mean, obviously not physical appearance, but just look at their lives. I mean, that's what we wish it were that simple, but we know it's not. We know that there are people, people with profound Christian faith that do really stupid things. There are some people with no Christian faith that do really wonderful things. It's not as simple as looking, just looking at them. And we hope that for those who do have faith that it creates a good works in us, but our assurance of our family relationship with God is not based on what we do, right or wrong, but on our, our relationship with God is based on His grace, His grace for us. So I just want to spend the rest of the time this morning just talking to the Christian who has received grace, uh, and yet who, who wants to have faith and, and just for whatever reason is struggling. Now, I don't know if that's you this morning. It might have been you before. It certainly is going to be you at some point. But I mean, maybe it's something you've done and you're just feeling guilty. Or maybe it's something that was done to you and you're feeling resentful. Or maybe you're struggling because God hadn't answered a prayer like you want him to. And it's just, I mean, you're just disappointed in God. And you're wondering if he's really there. But whatever it is, I want to show you that you have assurance that you are God's child from the past, the present, and the future. 
okay? The past, the present, and the future assurance that you are the child of God. So first, the past assurance comes in Good Friday's cross and in Easter's resurrection. See, these are historic events, and nothing that happens in your life can ever change the fact that Jesus died and rose again. No matter what happens to you, Jesus died on the cross, and he rose from the tomb. The cross was God's great demonstration of his love for sinners. And it was there, right there on the cross, that God took his own judgment against sin upon himself. Someone has said that God was more for us than he was for himself. Against all the ways that we don't measure up to him, he took what we deserve upon himself because he loves us. Because he is our father. Right? All the doubts, all the missteps, all the anger, all the shame, all the things that we try to keep hidden and hope that nobody else finds out about. God dealt with all of that on the cross. That's why Jesus cried out from the cross, It is finished. Because it was finished. And two days later, Easter's resurrection promised that God has defeated sin and death. Now, I don't know what worries or fears or shame you brought in here this morning, but, but the resurrection declares that those things are not defining. They don't have the last word anymore. You don't have to prove yourself to God. You just have to trust Him. And if you don't have to prove yourself to God, then you certainly don't have to prove yourself to anybody else. Because you are proven by the finished work of Christ. Now, that, of course, doesn't mean you need to be arrogant to people. I don't have to prove myself to you. But you, you understand who you are in Christ who died for your sin and rose for your life in Him. Now, if you come here this morning, you're disappointed. You know, like God didn't heal a loved one or your job isn't working out the way you prayed it would or whatever it is, the cross reminds us that suffering still happens. I mean, if it happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to us. God's job isn't to keep us away from suffering. But the resurrection reminds us that there is brilliant hope just on the other side of that suffering, of that disappointment. What comfort there is in that. What good news to know that in Christ there is always hope. And those things never have the last word over us. The cross and the resurrection are the means by which we are made God's children. And John says that is what we are. Right? So that's, that's the past assurance. The cross and the resurrection. You can never take those away. Second, the present assurance that we are God's children. And that is found in the sacraments of the church. In baptism and in the Lord's Supper. Now, in our tradition, a lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us don't remember our baptism. Right? We were baptized as infants, many of us. And yet, even then, regardless of whether or not you can remember that, that was God's declaration over you that He will be with you always. And when you came to faith, you could remember that He was faithful to His promise then. You were sealed by the Holy Spirit in your baptism. You're marked as Christ's own forever. The great reformers of the church, I'm talking about Martin Luther, John Calvin, 
John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, Richard Baxter. They were all pastors. They all had congregations. And when they would talk to someone in their congregation who who had doubts like you and I might have, who wondered where God was in their life, who, uh, who... for whom God seemed inaccessibly distant, their advice, the Reformers' advice, was always remember your baptism. Look upon your baptism. Because, I mean, whether you feel it right now or not, you are washed clean. You are buried with Christ and raised with Christ. You know, sometimes we have to preach to ourselves. We have to remember and remind ourselves what is more true about us than what we feel. And that is that we, in, in baptism, we were washed clean and promised by God that we, He would be with you always. Despite the circumstances of your life, you were declared God's child. And then, of course, each week in the meal that we offer, the bread and the wine, they continually remind us that the body and blood of Christ are for us. So a friend of mine, a priest, had a a man in his congregation that he noticed that he he had stopped coming to communion, often just crying quietly uh, to himself uh, in the pew. But the man came up to him afterwards and and after the service one day and confessed that he was having these really lewd thoughts right before, he felt attacked, but right before communion he was having these, these terrible thoughts sexual in nature, violent in nature. He just, and he decided that he couldn't take communion in that mindset. What could he do? But he, no matter what, every week he couldn't overcome uh, these thoughts. He felt unworthy, understandably. So he finally comes to his priest and he says, I mean, what, what should I do in order to, to be able to take communion? And the priest's advice was, take communion. <laughs> Because by not taking communion, you're saying that the body and blood of Christ is not as strong as, the, as the, these thoughts that you're having. But by coming to communion, you're saying that I believe that no matter what, despite the way I feel, that the body and blood of Christ are stronger than what I'm struggling with. That they can work in me to defeat that which I am struggling with. So come in faith and prayer that what you are receiving is stronger than what is inside of you. The body and the blood of Christ are stronger than the disappointment or the doubt or the struggle that you have. So the past assurances are the cross and the resurrection. The present assurances are the sacraments. What about the future assurance? So in our epistle, John says that what we are now is not what we will be when Christ returns. We're sort of living between what's already true and what's not yet true. We're living between, between the resurrection of Jesus and the return of Jesus. And so the good work that has begun in us will be complete or completed when Jesus returns. But, I mean, we are children now, but we're still sort of under construction, aren't we? we got some good, we got some struggles. The future promise that John gives us this morning is that when Christ is revealed, we will be like him. Jesus will return, and then we will be like him. Now, we see in the resurrection accounts, like the one we read this morning, that Jesus is Jesus. He's raised bodily, and yet there's, there's a difference. I mean, he appears behind locked doors without 
unlocking the door and walking through. He just, he, um, the disciples recognize him sometimes, don't recognize him sometimes, but they know it's him. It's, it's, he's not a spirit, he's a body, but there's something different. St. Paul calls it the glorified body. And it's not subject to decay, it's defeated death. I saw a meme this week on some social media thing that says, it said, I don't mind aging, but my body doesn't seem to be taking it too well. Right? I mean, I say all the time to people who are in the hospital or whatever, that like, aging is just not for sissies. You know? The promise of, of heaven is that you're, you will have a body that does not decay. It will always be young and strong and healthy. When he returns, we will be like him. We will not be subject to decay. Now, if we have to go through this life and we die in this life, which I personally think is going to happen for all of us in this room, then when he returns, we will be resurrected to a a body that is glorified like his. Flesh and blood that makes what we have now look like a shadow. More real than our present reality. You might say, well, that's fine. That's not an assurance. I mean, it's a promise. It's not an assurance. And I would answer that by saying that promise is one of eternal inheritance. So who gets the inheritance? Children, right? So you are promised an inheritance because you are a child. So the promise itself is the assurance that you are his child. So grow down, friends. Act like children. That is what we are, John says. The cross declares it. The resurrection declares it. Your baptism declares it. The Lord's Supper declares it. And the promise of Jesus' return declares it. By faith in Christ, you are God's very own child. And God is your very own perfectly loving Father. Amen.